<laughs> they don't want to they don't want to crucify the old man that's what it comes down to ultimately because yeah. they want to say look i don't agree with you your dogma actually is not my dogma um that revelation that you claim is is essential is not mine but so what let's all just unite so there's no sense that uh, mm. true unity is not even really sought then in that context right mm. <laughs> hello and welcome to why are we talking about rabbits? Yeah, that's uh, this podcast where we talk about theology, history. Oh, we talk about anthropology. We use all types of philosophies, and we often dig around in the old ancient church to try to figure out what the hell's going on in society today. We look at old world concepts, meaning things before the Enlightenment, and we look at new world concepts, and we try to make light of the darkness. Today, two... Orthodox priests, Father Silouan Justiniano, an iconographer par excellence. He actually is. He's won a lot of awards. He's world world renowned as an iconographer, but he wouldn't want me to say that because he's a monk. And Father Peter Hughes, my blood brother and a priest in the Orthodox tradition, he joins us from out in Arizona. And we talk about on part one, perennialism global ecumenism what does it mean to believe in the transcendent versus say things like jesus that's part one that's today on water well i'm talking to two of my favorite people in the world father Silouan justiniano and father peter hears my blood brother are you guys both brothers can I tell people that I'm your, your godfather, Father Silouan? We're all, well, 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 brother, we're all brothers in Christ, man. So, <laughs> so I'm older than my yeah, little I mean, brother, and I'm your godfather. I exactly. think right now I'm like in charge of this. This is this is this is my <laughs> podcast now. Now you two do what I tell right. you to do. Now we, know right. <laughs> now we know who's in charge. So, fellas. <laughs> Blessings and thank you for uh, joining us. We're going to talk about perennialism today, yeah? Okay. Um, I think one of you or both of you, one thing I know is that both of you have written extensively on this. You're deeply knowledgeable. You also have a great artistic sense for it in the sense that it goes beyond just definitions found in a book. In many ways, you're living it because you're wearing a cassock around each day and you're trying to figure out all the contours of modern life. And so for our old world, new world conversation, it's just a really, really cool thing to have you both here to talk about this concept, which really is everywhere, perennialism. So could we start with a definition for folks? How would you all like to define what we're going to talk about perennialism? Father Peter, maybe you want to take a shot at it? Ah, well... I mean, there's a lot you can say. I don't think it's easily definable. Uh, the basic, you know, the basic, uh, you know, general approach to it would be that there is a, um, at the core of all religions, there is the same mystical experience of the ultimate reality. That would be one way to put it. And that would be, but there's, there's other, there's schools of perennialism, there's, there's the traditional school, which is the most well-known, which I think most Orthodox have experience of or knowledge of. So I guess we could stay there and, and look at that first and foremost. And you look at somebody like 
Genon, Rene Genon, or Richard Schuen, or Ananda Kumaraswamy, uh, Titus Bookhart. These are the people who, Houston Smith, uh, these are the people who kind of defined it and, 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 and developed it in the Western world. It's a Western phenomenon. It's something that started probably at the uh, at the end of the 19th century, early 20th century, really. And Genon is kind of the father of it. And he's interestingly kind of begins with the Masonic Lodge before he departs from his Catholicism and becomes a uh, Muslim Sufi down in Cairo. And so um, it's interesting. I mean, very interesting history and very interesting um part of the intellectual history of the 20th century. I think it's really incumbent upon many Orthodox who, are, who want to be able to speak to the world today, to be able to get a, to get a handle on uh, what they're saying. And, you know, there's obviously a lot of truth in there as well. Otherwise it wouldn't be so, um, so commanding in, in, among intellectuals. It's very uh, mm-hmm. attractive to intellectuals. So um, do but, that, um, do that real quick. Yeah the truth in there. So just in case you're not familiar, this podcast goes old world, new world. We try to figure out what that is and we try to bring it into our new world experiences. These are two Orthodox priests uh, in, you know, Eastern Christianity, the Orthodox church. And so I think that's something important. The truth in there, is there truth in there? Like a little bit in this perennial Outlook? Uh, um, I think a, a way of, of, of dealing with that question perhaps is to make it different, to make a comparison and, and, and differentiate perennialism from the uh, approach of the apologists um, of, of the early stage of, of, of the church. And also contemporary uh, apologetic like um, approaches in modern orthodoxy. I'm thinking of people like or saints like uh, Saint Justin Martyr, Clement of Alexandria. I'm thinking of Lactantius. Um, more recently, Seraphim of Sarov, Saint Nectaris of, of Egina. Um, even even one of the most daring approaches would be. St. Nikolai Velimirovich and his, his prayers by the lake, which has been abused by perennialists um, in so far as uh, he sings praises to the sages of the other religions. Hmm. But the, 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 prime, the pivotal difference between the apologists and the Orthodox perspective is to see how within other traditions, whether it be um, mythological uh, or philosophical, that there were shadows, there were types that looked forward towards the culmin- like the, the culmination of, of the revelation, and that was the incarnate Christ. Um, yeah. And so there are um, seeds of the truth. St. Seraphim of Sarv would even say that the pagans were not deprived of the grace of the Holy Spirit, that he guided them in a different way than he guided, of course, like the, the Jews, uh, towards uh, a, 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 a knowledge to whatever degree was possible at the time of the mystery of Christ. Um, <clears throat> there was also, like St. Nectaris talks about the uh, Sibylline prophecies, 
Mm. And uh, early Christians also, and in the medieval period, they also used the Sibylline prophecies and also the the Chaldean oracles um, to to show how even in the oracles of the pagans there were uh, prophetic articulations that were not even perhaps known to the pagans themselves of the coming of Christ. And so there is a sense of, and as I said. Um, St. Nicola Villamirovich very boldly says, he sings praises. He says, praise to the Buddha, praise to even, even uh, to, to Krishna and praise to Lao Tzu and other sages of the past, right? So, but he, one pivotal difference is, I mean, one pivotal important point is that he never says praises to Muhammad. So hmm. these are all different sages and or figures in the mythology of world religions that speak to whatever degree it was possible within their context and capacity to be receptive to the illumination of the Holy Spirit, aspects of the truth of a Christian life. Like St. Justin Martyr, for example, calls Socrates a Christian prior to Christ. And similarly, so so St. Nicholas working within the same principle and he's being very bold. Um, so the perennials have taken that as if it is a con condoning their own hermeneutic principle, mm -hmm. their own, their own understanding, um, which, um, what is that, that, which is, I would take, I would let father, father Peter go into that, which, which, you know, it goes into the whole transcendent unity of religions. So maybe we can read a definition here from one of their apologists. That would probably be a good thing to do. But before I do that, let me just speak to that question of truth, John. Mm -hmm. Is that okay? Yeah. Can I do that? Uh, so, yeah, there's, we, we, have to we have to talk about what truth is, right? There's truth on, in the realm of ideas. There's truth on the human, the human plane in the sense we discover the truth, the, the meaning of things and the reality as it is. We come to contact with reality. But truth in the Christian context, in the in the properly speaking, is a person, and it's Jesus Christ. It's incarnate. And so in that sense, um, I don't think we can talk about there being truth in perennialism in that sense, because it is a, it, it requires a, a crucifixion and a submission and a initiation into the incarnation. And I think this is, this is where we're going to have, a, you know, we're going to have a, Big differences, and we're going to hopefully discover what the problem is from an Orthodox perspective uh, in terms of perennialism. Um, so uh, when I said there's truth, there's truth about the world, about uh, the history of uh, uh, religions and, and, and tradition among men, certainly. And there's, is truth there's a lot of connecting to the dots. There's consistency or something? <laughs> is, is that because in one point we're saying truth is Christ. So what? Is Velimirovich saying about, say, Socrates or Plato, are they consistent with a type of Christian living? What makes them even like, I'll just put it this way from a layman's point of view. I read a lot of Gwinnon. It was fascinating and I liked it. I, I, I almost think it helped me to become closer to what I call Orthodox. I'm trying my best. Oh, Sarah from Rose, Rose would say the same thing. So when you're saying 
there's they knew truth about the world is that just meaning they're pointing out things that are consistent with christian life or christianity or christ how are they not true i guess is it's because they're not baptized well it's one thing to have experience personal hands-on experience with truth incarnate and then you speak from that experience. Hmm. And it's another thing to observe and rash with the rational intellect to uh, come to a knowledge of the created order, the harmony of the okay. world, yeah, and, yeah. and things like that. So on, in, in the second sense, I think they're very uh, powerful intellects. And I, you know, I, I think that's why people are attracted to it. And, and they're rejecting so much of the dissolution of the modern world which is very attractive uh, we're trying yes. to get out of the, out of the confusion and the anarchy. Um, but it, it, from the Orthodox perspective, you know, if that were the, if that were equivalent to regeneration, salvation, then there wouldn't be a need for the incarnation. Mm. And, and ultimately perennialism kind of begs the difference. Is there a need for the incarnation? If it's the, the, the idea among some Christian brainless is that it is the logos uh, the asarkos logos, not the ensarkos logos, right? Not the incarnate logos, but the logos that speaks to the prophets and it's incarnate here, embodied, embodied. Yeah, Embo yeah, the, right. yeah. Became man, dwelt mm -hmm. among us, was born of the virgin. So that's the ensarkos logos, right? So, but so there's this idea that the asarkos logos, the not the 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 pre-incarnate logos, is speaking through and in. To this day, all of the, the different religions, and, and that's why they become salvific, because it's uh, from, you know, that's how one who wants to be faithful to the Christian revelation can try to explain mm. the perennials and the perennials context, how the, there is a unity of religions. And there is, uh, these are, these orthodox religions of mankind um, are, you know, manifestations of the transcendent, you know, and, 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 and paths to the, to the transcendent. Um, but the, that's, it's extremely problematic from an Orthodox perspective because sitting at the right hand of God the Father is the incarnate Logos. And, and, and um, he is the one who will come to judge the living and the dead. And uh, there, we cannot separate the two. We cannot talk like they do uh, and separate the two. Uh, from the moment that he became incarnate, then, then this is this is where all roads lead, and they have to, if they're going to be a part of that redeemed and deified humanity, which sits at the right hand of the Father. So, and so, what yeah. what impedes? Let's say there's three brilliant perennialists sitting there, and they're doing all this brilliant writing or whatever, explaining what it's impeding them is something like. In obedience to the belief in the incarnation, like in, in unwillingness or an in inability to bow before Christ, something like that. Is that what puts them outside of the truth? I think they, there's an a priori there for them that the, that and they're, they're trusting tremendously their own intellect and their own experience. Hmm. And so when they come to encounter Christ, they have certain presuppositions they're not going to let go. So, yeah, I think it's a lack of crucifixion of their intellect, hmm. a lack of letting go of a trust 
in their own intellectual powers. It's rare that you find a perennialist who is not a very gifted intellectually, uh, intellectually gifted man, right? You don't find uh, simple simpletons among the perennialists. So they're, they're all, that's all uh, high, highly charged intellects who I think um, have mistaken the, uh, the light, the eternal light, the transcendent light, uh, they've they've mistaken their own uh, powerful intellects for that, and not understood that they're they're a reflection. They need to repent uh, of their of that stance. They need to submit. They need to be crucified. Hmm. Now they would say, no, no, that's not true at all, because this is actually something that's in all the different religious traditions and all the rest. And so, but I it it, it comes across always as talking about Christ from a distance, and I think that's one of the biggest problems is that they don't have firsthand experience of the uh, life of the church, and yet they speak as if they are above it, and they can they can judge it, and they can they can uh, explain it, uh, because they don't really believe it's unique to each tradition. That's to, uh, to, to orthodoxy. In a way that that betrays their modernism, mm-hmm. because they they uh, they put they place themselves like Father is saying above any world religion um and they have their own specific metaphysic that they use as the standard to judge any other religion so they 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 give lip service to the tradition the local traditions and nevertheless they are always constraining those local traditions to uh ultimately what is a Vedantist kind of Hindu metaphysic, which they claim is the most ancient and authoritative metaphysic. What would that metaphysics look like? Like it, it is a to, it to is a, a like non-dualist metaphysic, which would claim that um, your way towards liberation from the realm of manifest existence and the suffering we experience in the illusion of this world is through knowledge Hmm. hence what father is saying the the placing the prayer they would they would even give lip service to our understanding of the news but it is a an understanding of the news that is completely stripped from it being purified through life in christ the news the noetic property in us that allows us to commune with god yeah yeah so so then they would hold um that uh, through the acquisition of knowledge, you are liberated from the illusion of what uh, we perceive to be ourself, which is ultimately an ego projection or a fantasy or an illusion of ourselves. And our true self is the Atman, the self with a capital S. And so, which then would posit the need for the dissolving of what we as Orthodox Christians would uphold, which is the human hypothesis. And so, and also along with that is the deprecation of the created order. So we would need to dissolve our quote human self in favor of our divine self. That's a way of putting it. I'm trying. I'm trying. So is this person, there are a lot of, them out there and many of them wonderful people, but is this a 
is this a perennialist sounding person? You know what? You guys are really saying cool things. Um, but listen, there's, it's too complicated. There has to be many paths up the mountain and we can all get there in our own way. And when we get there, we'll know um, because, you know, it, we, it brings joy to us to be unified with the, with the ultimate transcendent. Is that perennialism in a nutshell? Is that person perennialist? It's, yeah, I think that's that's a kind of common a common universalism that's uh, you can hear even prominent religious leaders, even Christian religious leaders, talk about many paths up the mountain, and you know who are we to judge? And we're you're, you're a bigot if you take that right. So so that. I, I asked that to follow up with this, which I think you guys can go to town on. Is that then by definition of the perennialists creating the codification? <clears throat> of a new religion. In other words, is this the new emerging religion? Is this the thing that has to unite the new culture called global things, global? Is this the one? Because I really, I would just say something's coming, something to unite folks. Is this the one? Something. I, I could see um, this definitely being um a way to achieve essentially a unity of religions without there being any change in the external forms. I mean, that's what perennialism posits is that you have um, uh, forms of the truth and, and, and there's, there's different, you know, humanities and God is revealing depending on the humanities, the various humanities, their needs, right. He's revealing himself differently because, well, the Chinese, humanity and the Western humanity and the whatever needs this. And so they, they, th this would be a one way for cer certainly that we could talk about a unity without there being any changes among anyone. Like you wouldn't have to deny your Christianity or your, your Sufi Islam to be united. And so it's very, it's a very quick road to unity for humanity um, without, you know, sa sacrifice. Hey everyone, Andrew from First Things Foundation here with a couple of quick announcements. Number one, Watar is actively recruiting for a volunteer podcast editor to take this show to the next level. If you or somebody you know might be interested in that, please check the link below or in the podcast description for more information. Second, First Things Foundation is looking for two new Vanguard field workers to go to Mozambique as soon as possible. This experience is incredible. And our YouTube channel just dropped a video highlighting what that looks like. For more information, you can also click on the link below or in the description to take you straight to the page and how to apply. Thank you so much for your time. Now back to the show. Is it is it built on a scientific materialist chassis? Is it is that what this new religion might look like once it gets its skin? Is it is it still being run essentially by, you know, the smart people who or at the universities? Is it run by Fauci? <laughs> well, what do you think, Father one? I don't know. I think I think I think you're absolutely right. I mean, is the the they posit like Father is saying the exoteric dimension and the esoteric dimension, and they would call what Father is describing esoteric ecumenism, which is basically mm -hmm. an ecumenism that is not what we. Uh, have gotten used to thinking of ecumenism as being sort of like a watering down of like of various forms of Christianity coming together um, and, and sort of like doing violence to 
the the outward form, they would basically claim, no, you keep on doing the same thing. You don't have to worry about it, but mm. you know, we you keep on in your same path, but we'll we'll ultimately in if you peel the onion, so to speak, when you get to the kernel, to the center, the center is the logos, the center is the one, the center is the absolute reality. And at the end of the day, all religions meet in the center, you know, and like uh, Father uses an interesting the analogy that actually the perennialists like to use, uh, but Father uses it in his article against them, which is the notion of uh, the circle and then the point in the center, and then in the periphery you have the various religions, and as the uh, the radii go in, they get closer and closer to each other, and so this is one. Like I said before, this is a this is how they are ultimately, which goes back to what you're asking. They are very modern in that sense, in so far as they they don't respect the unicity of any religion. Mm. They want to bunch them all together in order to deal with the reality of the global meeting of different worlds, different spheres intellectual or like cultural traditional spheres that previously in former former centuries you didn't have that close of a contact now the the contact that we have with other traditions is such that now we have to figure out how to like negotiate coexistence and so one way to negotiate it is to basically posit this kind of like you know in the positive idea the thesis comes through something like a scientific objection, objective study. I'm trying to figure out Uh, what would be the implication, like what would be, sorry, what would be the impetus? And it feels like something happened where we could see globally and therefore posit a thesis globally. And therefore, is it, is it utterly rational, right? Like the whole, yes. the, the whole birth. Father, would you is, say, would you yeah. say, Father, that it is a, in a way, a, 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 um, although they would staunchly deny it, a, a, a dressed up, sort of like enlightenment. I think ideology? it's totally a, conti- it, it's, a yes, continuation it's a, of it. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it it it's born out of a desire to try to make sense of the divisions in the West. It's a reaction to the Western divisions. And so it's in that context is where it's where it really comes and and gels. And so they're saying there's got to be unity in this midst of this insanity after the dissolution in the West. Um, and uh, uh, they're, they're going to look outside the context because they see no they see no light in the West for that kind of unity. And so I think that's what leads all these thinkers to the East and and they re, they don't even look at orthodoxy of course they go straight to the far east and um but it's definitely a product of modernity it is a, it is a, it is definitely born in that context um it's one more swing in on the pendulum of the west right the the, the west went from one extreme to another for centuries upon centuries and so this is this is supposedly going to end that that um, that incessant swing and bring uh, a, a, a unity uh, to to explain away all the divisions. But is there uh, life after death? 
for a perennialist or does it, is it a question not worth asking for a perennialist? I, I, I have not encountered the whole life after death. I mean, you, I mean, what, when I, when you went, it is funny when you say life after death, automatically in my mind, I think of the resurrection. Right. So, so, but, hmm. but they don't function based on any notion of the resurrection. Um, the, 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 those who align themselves with like some kind of form like uh, of Sufism might give lip service to the notion of the resurrection as that is expressed in some Islamic, you know, uh, uh, traditions. But, but in terms of like their metaphysic, which is ultimately, even if you're a Sufi, you're a Vedantist in, in, in the core, that means that then, then your bodily resurrection would be insignificant. So in that sense, you know, notions of the afterlife would be, I think, more aligned along the lines of the transmigration of souls and like, yeah, there you, go. you know, like along like the Plato. oriental, yeah, exactly, like Neoplatonic notions of what that means. So, um, yeah. So then here's a question within the confines of the church, hmm, what we might call I don't know, ecumenism being practiced by, I don't know, priests, bishops, laymen, whatever. Is that them importing a type of perennialism, a modern ecumenism? Is, are they the same when Orthodox folks get jiggy with some heresy? Is that the heresy that they're participating in, essentially? You're talking about specific uh, bishops proclaiming, yeah. well, uh, basically, you know, con con celebration. Very, I, I, we can get into the specifics. I'm not against that at all. But well, and, is that yeah. perennialism brought uh, writ large within an orthodox context? Is that what's happening? Well, uh, is ecumenism a form of perennialism? Is that what you're saying? Well, it feels to me like when an orthodox Christian is called an ecumenist, and let's say they are ecumenistic whatever that is that's what i'm trying to define are they simply just importing perennialism and then practicing it as a person ordained or a person baptized is that what they're doing is that what ecumenism is today perennialism uh, within the church uh, well i, I, would, I think uh, go ahead father uh, i uh, i just uh, just it just popped in my mind um like getting back to what you were saying, Father, is that that there are different strains of 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 of, of notions of perennialist thought. I mean, there you know, because even within the perennialists, they they you know, for example, like even Fritz of Chuan, he didn't live up to his doctrines. In so far as like you know, they 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 claim to be staunch anti syncretists. But they so, some 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 strains of them are syncretists. Some of them are New yeah. Age. Some of them are Theosophists. Some of them are Rosicrucian. Some of them veer towards the ecumenism you're describing, and some of them are esoteric ecumenists. So it's a whole slew of different. Uh, so it would be unfair to claim that anybody that has embraced the mid 20th century form of ecumenism that we're more familiar with mm -hmm. that they're by default perennialist of the, or they've, they bought into okay. a perennialist uh, uh, ideology, although some of them might have. Go ahead, Father Sar. 
I would say Christian Christian ecumenism of the early 20th century, late 19th century is Protestant. It, it's it never left, it never lost that identity, and it's based on a common experience, in spite of and and many times, uh, you know, in disgust with dogma. So there's a total loss of dogma and ethos in uh, Protestantism that has born, uh, given birth to ecumenism, and that's increasingly. Um, you know, Catholicism in, in the 1960s essentially turned toward that Protestantism, toward that ecumenism, abandoned its um, its claimed exclusivity uh, as being the one church, uh, you know, or, or severely watered it down. So, um, so is there a? Con- I guess the question is: Do perennials then, to, if it's going to be like what we experience yes. in, a, in, a, in ecumenism, are the perennials also saying? We all have a common experience. Yeah, it feels like they're non-Christian ecumenists. Yeah. yeah, and I would say that they they would say yes, it's a it's a common experience of the same divine transcendent reality, of course, uh, but it in the forms that it take uh, are not at all the same, uh, and so uh, but that's not too far from contemporary Protestantism because they're rejecting. Um, the need for a uh, for a lot of common forms uh, to be a Christian. You can you can be a Christian according to a lot of contemporary humanists, and um, uh, you know do believe this about baptism, and then another person can be a Christian and believe something very different about what baptism means yeah. or the implications of baptism or the Eucharist. So in that sense, yeah, there's there's an abandonment of a commonality of form among all Christians and understanding of that and unity with the essence. So at the heart of perennialism is that we have we have a, um, the same essence, but we have very different forms, and I think that's common in uh, with contemporary humanism for a lot of people. It's almost yeah, like, like that. that. Sorry, it's almost like the the ecumenism of the 20th century, the Christian ecumenism, where oh, you do your thing, I'll do our my thing, and we're all believers in Christ. It's almost like that was the predecessor of global or you know, humanity's ecumenism, which is being given voice by the perennialists. It feels like one is the father of the other. Is that they're both coming? They're both being born about the same time and about the same and the reaction to the same divisions. Okay. And and there's incarnation. They don't like incarnation. They don't like flesh. They don't like flesh and form. Something about flesh and form freaks them out. No, because because they. Look, they don't like humility. Humili- humility is what they don't like. They don't want to be humiliated. Uh, they don't want to. They don't want to crucify the old man. That's what it comes down to ultimately, because they want to say, "Look, I don't agree with you. Your dogma actually is not my dogma. Um, that revelation that you claim is is essential is not mine. But so what? Let's all just unite. So there's no sense that uh, mm. true unity is not." even really sought then in that context, right? Mm-hmm. It's going to be a spiritual unity. But in the Christian context, context from the incarnation on, we don't, we're not, we're not talking like that about unity. Unity is man, manifest when? On Pentecost, Pentecost when? They had yes. all the same faith. They were all together in the same place. They had the same Eucharist. Those were the presuppositions of Pentecost, which they ignore. Mm. And they don't, they, don't, they don't require that anymore to have true unity. Uh, uh, but, Yeah. I think, Father, that, that I, th- I think you might might have also pointed this out, is that 
like what what you're describing, uh, uh, John, is the notion of the what the Protestants call the mystical church, right? Mm. It's the church. It's, it's the you that unity that happens in Christ that you don't have to have, you know, similarity of form or whatever. Even the doctrine could vary as long as you believe in Jesus, right? So. Uh, that is like an extreme reaction towards the totalitarianism of papism. Hmm. And pa- papism demanded a unity predicated on the figure of the papal authority. And so I think, I think in that sense, uh, the, 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 the perennialists are very Western in, 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 in so far as they are definitely knee-jerk reaction anti-Latin church in a way. Although, although... Strains of them would use a scholastic metaphysic to justify their claims, and they would posit strains of mystical knowledge within even the West, along the lines of like the you know the the, the Western, me- my, you know, Western medieval world and things like <clears throat> that. You know, so so you you have so, but I think I think it is a symptom. It's, it's symptomatic of. <clears throat> Of, of I think the 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 disintegration of Christianity in the West uh, co- as a consequence of the Latin schism and what precipitated all the divisions that precipitated uh, in the Reformation and and the religious wars that unfolded because of that and uh, then you had the Enlightenment and then that precipitated forms of esotericism to really like emerge strong. Mm-hmm. And then the perennialism then becomes a, a child of all this turmoil, which then leads to the kind of pendulum swings that Father describes in the beginning of his paper. So is this what COVID was illustrating within the doors of churches, with inside of churches, both Orthodox and not? Was this the argument that was popping out in terms of form, proper form in the church, spoons and it feels like they're related. I mean, Father Peter, you have a book out about this. Is there a connection? Conne- connection between, say it again. Between the spirit of the communist age, the spirit of the perennial age, because I'm, I'm lumping them together on some level, because they seem to be both challenging the, the concept of incarnate things, things incarnate. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Was that the argument being had within the Orthodox Church then? Uh, brought on by COVID, like how how hard do we have to, um, you know, attain the right form? Like during this COVID, can we do it on a screen? Can can we take communion with three spoons? Is that part of the same debate? It feels like it to me. Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up, but I've never thought about the connection. But if you look at what happened during the uh, what I call COVIDism, which was you know this adoption of um, I think a new and different uh, understanding of the holy things and the holy place. Uh, and so we, t- we looked at the church uh, as in a different light than what you see in the lives of the saints and the stands of the saints, um, that there in the temple, in the holy things, is God himself. This is where he dwells. And, and therefore, when you kiss the icon, when you kiss the hand of the priest, when you take the holy communion, when you kiss the relics, when you embrace one another, all of Flesh. this is an encounter with the with the continuation of the incarnation, and it's in this place and not some other place. It's not. This is not a common place. This is not a supermarket. It's not a bank. It's not anything like that. It's a place where uh, you encounter the incarnate 
logos uh, in flesh, in the, in the body and blood of Christ, but also in your brother. I mean, we say that to make this the body and blood of Christ and all of us to become the body and blood of Christ. The part of the prayer for consecration implies that the whole, all of us will become mm-hmm. one in Christ and will become the body of Christ. So you can't, if you're well-grounded in Orthodox theology, you can never escape. It's everywhere. You can't entertain any kind of spiritualization um, you know, de-incarnation of relationship with Christ. It can never become, I mean, this, this idea that we can actually participate in the divine liturgy from our home via internet is just absurd. And, and it's an affront to our understanding of what's going on in the temple. And, uh, uh it's a, it's just a, a emptying out of, of the content of, of our worship in the temple. So, it's it's the it's but it's the perennial um it's it's the perennial uh enemy of the church is the is the is to to make the 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 lord either not human or not divine to divide the divine humanity to the the theanthropos to to no, to not be and and so that's arianism and it's monophysitism uh, iconoclasm is another form of this right the, the icons uh are not uh Image, imaging forth and bringing forth the presence of God. We're not communing with God through the veneration of the icons. Francis and, Baconism. And What's that? Francis Baconism. Yeah, yeah. All, all of that the is modern a, age. There, there, there is a refusal to crucify the intellect, uh, the rational intellect, in order to to achieve uh, true communion and true divine enlightenment. So, perennialism is one more version of that. In my is mind. the uh, scandal of particularity. Yes, that Christ, the same Christ who walked. So in this sense, perennialism and ecumenism are, are one. And that is the same Christ who walked the face of this earth is now present in the church. And we are his members. We are his, his body. And, and, and we, in fact, I, as I say often, we can encounter and experience Christ even more than those who walked with him. Because we now partake of the body and blood of Christ, which they did not. And so um, the incarnation is even more r- real than, than when he walked on the face of the earth. Uh, and so, of course, the enemy of salvation is going to constantly try to undermine that and keep people away from that reality and not have them experience that reality and turn salvation into something invisible, the invisible church of the Protestants, or something uh, that, that extends even to... Uh, forms and ideas about God, which are totally opposed to the Christian revelation, which is what perennialism is. Uh, a unity without a, uh, without and, and a, um, uh, a, a savior and salvation and a unity without a crucified Christ. That's what it's, that's what it's all about. That's the, uh, that's the war against the church, whether it be COVIDism or perennialism or ecumenism, all these isms, they, they, they boil down to that that uh, a war against the incarnation. Um, um, one thing that, that comes to mind, which is bringing it back to uh, what was mentioned earlier in the beginning, which ties on to what you're saying about crucifying the intellect, Father. Uh, mm-hmm. It reminds me of uh, a passage in Sangre Palamas in the triads, where he's talking about pagan philosophy. And he is um, 
basically saying yes that there are there is value in 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 the in 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 the uh, tool of of pagan of pagan philosophy as a tool or what it brings to the table in terms of specific uh, levels of acquired knowledge, natural sciences and things like that. Uh, but it is not, it is not the ultimate uh, participatory knowledge of encountering Christ in an experiential way. And so worldly philosophy then has to be treated like a snake from which we extract the poison to use as an antidote. That's a very important thing when it comes to, I think it's important in my experience for me, because I have been, like you said, Peter, I mean, uh, uh, John, uh, I've read, you know, a lot of the perennialists and I've, I've had uh, conversations with, with the perennialists through, you know, writing articles and things like that. Sure. And, and so it's been, they've, they've, they've helped me deal with, pivotal questions about my modernity, my dealing with a, within a postmodern culture. And, 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 and it has helped me deal with specific critiques against the enlightenment, positivism, empiricism, and things like that. Um, and uh, for example, like crisis, the crisis, uh, uh, what I think is crisis of modernities written 1927 by Ganon is, 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 is an interesting, important contribution to that, but like, and also Sherard and his critiques, uh, what the rape of man and nature and things like that. So, so uh, nevertheless, I mean, so, and also in terms of like uh, the, the, the value of sacred art and, and uh, evaluating medieval art from, from Kumana Swami. Um, so there are some aspects that could be useful, but they have to be treated with a lot of discernment. They cannot be, they, you cannot, you cannot, take their critique um, and isolate it completely from the underpinnings that that are there that fuels the critique so you have it takes a while to actually come to terms with like all right they're saying this because they have this agenda <laughs> and so so we have to we have to read their text through the ethos of the church not through the lens that they provide and so we have to extract the poison, take whatever is actually just objective and useful data, and throw away throw away all the the spiritually harmful stuff. And that takes a lot of discernment, and you need to do that through you know the the guidance of your spiritual father, if he ever gives you the blessing to read any of that stuff. Yeah, but you but, guys. You know, you guys are saying true things, but let me throw a stick in the mud as a uh, teacher of young men and also with our foundation. Most of the guys are the men and women we're speaking to at 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. You don't understand. They don't have a handle on which to grab other than something that looks perennialist or ecumenist. I don't I, I do to understand that. Do you understand that that is actually the only thing that they understand, at least with their rational mind? In other you words, it would you only be by them that they could come to any higher understanding of anything like we would call Christic truth. You know, this this is interesting because this reminds me of our conversations in the 
late 90s. Yeah, I mean, you're watching, watching Russian right. filmmakers. Yes. Yeah, people, people don't realize, but, you know, before we were all dressed, you know, we we're dressed in black before you were like going like a little like gray like you are, you know. Yeah, this goes We would back. have conversations about this. And I would get upset with Father Peter because Father Peter would be staunchly saying, Shirari is a metaphysician. I'm like, man, why are you being so hard on the man? And, you know, it took me <laughs> I still years. Do that. I still do that with <laughs> you. Him. know. Right. It took me it took me years to begin to see the truth of what he was saying. And and, you know, it didn't stop me from reading Gerard. I still like I was reading Gerard recently. You know what I'm saying? But I could see more clearly took years for that clarity come about. That clarity came about through participation in the body of Christ. I know. But it became it it came also through reading the fathers and getting and and getting the 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 correct quote metaphysic i mean but not in this in the in the but scholastic let me sense stick but up. based on experience i don't want to hear sorry i'm interrupting <laughs> but you know philip shrard's baptized orthodox christian man yeah but and he, he was, died that he way he was playing uh, he was playing loosey goosey man oh well I'm he was saying say. he was saying words loosey goosey but when when do but you also guys also in real life uh, uh, i i met with somebody i mean this is probably that confided that he would advise them not to say anything about, about the perennialist notions that he was adhering to. And they were adhering to, to, to the spiritual father No, because they wouldn't understand. And that's not right. It's like, it's like, you know, it's like, it's like speaking like the praises of tradition and still condoning people to go and like become members of the of the Masonic Lodge. Uh, what it's I'm like, saying is, I'm at, <laughs> I'm at peace with that. I understand that that's you know? that's something that was going on. But what I'm trying to say is, there's a library left there, and it's left yeah. there, and it speaks on its own. He's not alone. Yeah, and I get it. Maybe I should pick up pick up Saint John of Kronstadt instead of Philip Sherard. But it's it's kind of weird when we have Orthodox Christians who are writing these kind of books, who are baptized, who die in the church. At some point, really? Do you? Well, know? you beg. What you're saying begs the question: Is uh, just because they were not in this life, uh, the canons were not applied, or there was never a council called, or there was never somebody who called into account? Does not mean, therefore, uh, that their teachings are? Cons- consistent or acceptable or anything like that. That's not, that, those, that does not follow. But it also right? doesn't make their books like pox on your house. It, it, this is the part well, I have trouble with, which is like. Their uh, origin died in, in communion with the church. As far as I understand, I don't think he was, um, but his, later on the yeah. church saw his teachings as very, very uh, problematic and condemned them and actually condemned him, which is uh, still controversial for some people, but yeah. the, the council did. I don't I don't I don't think we should uh look there are a lot of, there's a lot of things going on in the church today that are not being corrected that, is, that that are inconsistent with holy tradition and divine revelation and the patristic teaching that doesn't mean that we should re- be reading the the, the 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 literature of those people who are teaching I mean, humanism is alive and well with people who are not been uh reprimanded or or sanctioned whatsoever so uh, you've still got to acquire the patristic mind. If you're going to wade into those things, then you've got to be prepared. It's a greater responsibility. I would say that the that that the um, Sherard's writings 
can bring can help somebody get out of modernity. They can help somebody get closer to orthodoxy, but they can also prevent somebody from going deeper into orthodoxy. Yes. And my grandmother can that, do that. But my, my Baptist grandmother can do that. Or I, mean, I didn't have one of those, but you get my point. Like my, yeah, but I still got to go have dinner with her. <laughs> She's my Baptist. <laughs> like, I get that already. I get that. But there's something puritanical about that concept. I agree with you 100%. But, well, I think I think uh, the challenge is I think the because it goes into why well, would it be puritanical? I don't say puritanical. We're talking about is it true what he writes and does it lead people to to theosis? And if it doesn't, then why are we reading it? Well, it because could. that's the whole point, right? But, but well, that's why I'm trying to. I think this is the this is good because this is actually the conversation about perennialism. I think it could lead someone to theosis. Really. I don't. I, I think his last of, his last book was called Christianity Liniments of a Sacred Tradition, and the whole point of the book was to say Christianity is a sacred tradition because that's where he he laid down his perennialism. He put it put it all out there to show us that he was actually a perennialist first, and he was an Orthodox Christian. Second. Wait, but wait, so what? In his intellectual <laughs> in his intellectual commitments. I mean, intellectual. Can I can I make a comment about that book? Yeah, uh, a, a quick comment about that book, which goes back to what uh, John is saying. Which is basically, I think, I think Sherard was uh, really conflicted. In that book, he sets out to critique Ganon's metaphysic, which is Vedantist. And um, I think, what's the name? I got the book here. It's called, uh, that text is called, yeah, Christianity and the Metaphysics of Logic. And he, he completely destroys Ganon's assumptions and he upholds a trinitarian traditional orthodox doctrine nevertheless the rest of the book is pretty much sprinkled with the relativizing of the orthodox tradition so it's like it demonstrates that he doesn't want to give up like the orthodox you know revealed you know the revelation of the trinity Meanwhile, he's relativizing it. It's like, so that runs through. That's, a but lot that's of a Christian text. perennialist. That's what it means to be a Christian perennialist, right? That's yeah. what, that's what, unfortunately, Dr. Kutzinger was. Yeah. Dr. Kutzinger was exactly in this position. And that's not tenable. You don't have, show me the Holy Fathers who had that position. I, I'm happy to follow. We follow the Holy Fathers in the Orthodox Church. We don't follow contemporary uh, perennialist, uh, uh, you know, reconsideration of uh, of these things, and the, and the right. fathers never went there. So, on what basis? It's an arrogance on on the part of the contemporary writers to to to, to you know. But there is, I think I am I am in in a way uh, I'm understanding what John is saying in terms of like some people happen to be already navigating writings uh whether it be uh Ganon, whether it be uh Sherrard, whether it be Lings, Burkhart, whatever, uh Jean Borella, um they are already confronting the challenge of modernity through these works. And then the responsibility for us as Orthodox Christians is to actually help them come to the 
the, 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 the fulfillment of, of whatever inklings they might have in there and the, the reality of the being initiated into the body of Christ as what actually imparts true knowledge, illumination. The, the verb is and to so, lead, to lead. They are and led. So, so it is a pastoral thing. And, 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 but there is a difference between people who are in transition and people who are within the church. You know, and so there is like, and, and, and the reality is that we as pastors have to be cautionary and, and err always on, on, on protecting people from the error rather Look, than like being, you know. It's kind too- of simple at the end of the day. Forgive me. It's really simple at the end of the day. Where are the deified, the glorified, who are doing the work of the perennialists among the Orthodox? In other words, my point is, if, if somebody like St. Paisios or St. Porfirios or St. Jacobos or Elder Ephraim or, or, or whatever, the, the, those who the body of Christ have recognized as being, have been arrived at glorification, where are they doing this work and where are they speaking like Sherrard have spoken? And shouldn't they be the ones that would lead the way and they would actually be able to tell us experientially as eyewitnesses of the word in our day, they would speak to the truth of perennialism. And yet you don't find any of them at all, uh, even like giving an inkling of, uh, uh, of an endorsement in that direction. I don't anyway. I don't see uh, any of that. And I, I, would propose, I would propose a third, a, third, a third path about this whole thing, so to speak, which goes along to with the whole pendulum swinging kind of like analogy that you used in the beginning of your paper. Um, I think... I think um, Perhaps one way of, of dealing with this body of work is to treat it like any other pagan, like I said in the in, earlier, it's like, how many? like any other fo- pagan, pagan philosophy. Um, and, and, and then, uh, you know, assess it at, at, as you would any other pagan philosophy. Well, how many uh, because, Christians for example, became Christians like, as, as, because of Plato's right, right. idea so, of the eternal? Right. I mean, so, so, but it's not the, the only, the only caveat here would be the only caveat here would be that they are pre pre revelation and, 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 and these people are writing uh, after, after the revelation of Christ, you know, so, True. so there is that, that nuance. That's very that's important. Pretty important. You know? That's very important. Um, <laughs> and so, so you cannot, you cannot make them out to be just like, you know, the apologists, you know, they, they're not apologists in the, in the ancient sense at all, at all. So, so, um, nevertheless, I mean, you as a, as a teacher, you, you teach, we, we teach in different ways, but you, you deal with, mm-hmm. with students, like you have to deal with, with modern, we're modern philosophers, Bacon, like, you know, uh, Descartes, you have to deal with, you know, whatever came down the pipe after mm-hmm. the medieval period. And, or you have to deal with the consequences of the debates that emerged during the scholastic period. Mm-hmm. nominalism, realism, and all this crazy, and all what, what, you know, all the stuff that came down the pipe, the domino effect of all that, you have to assess it to your student audience. And therefore, you have to become versed in what the content of these philosophers gave us. And so, and I think, I think my, my, I think it's important for, 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 for a, an Orthodox Christian to treat to treat the, the, this as another sector of the genealogy of modern philosophy, and, yes. and to and, I, and, I would and say, to critique I would it say, to critique it appropriately. Yeah, and look it, the way I end my paper, and I think this is something we got to really. I, I think we need to stress, and that is that this uh, perennialism 
is something we should really pay attention to because it has a, p- a powerful uh, presentation intellectually. And therefore, the potential for damage and destruction spiritually is even greater than any of the other uh, isms of our day. And that's why I, I've, I've spent you know time on it myself, because I feel like this is a grave danger uh, to the unity of the church, the salvation of the world. So it will come, I believe, Prentism will come uh, to give a false unity of mankind, and it will it will be experienced in the body of Christ as a grave temptation, because it will obscure, just like the Antichrist, uh, and and set aside essentially the theanthropic person of Jesus Christ and his body, the Church. Ultimately, it will set aside Christ and his body. He will not be all in all. He will not be uh, seen as the judge of living and dead. He will not be. Um, uh, it will be the. It will be a, ma- a massive temptation for humanity, and it's it's in the book of Revelation. It we have the following expression, which which uh, a great elder of our day interprets precisely as a grave. Uh, you know, to apply to essentially this, he says ecumenism. He does. He's not familiar with perennialism, probably as a philosophy, but essentially he's talking about perennialism. He's. It says in the book of Revelation to the uh, to the angel. I think. Is it of uh, Smyrna or of Ephesus? I don't remember. Thou hast kept, or no, uh, it's not of either. It's uh, another another uh, of the cities of, of the book of Revelation. Thou hast kept the word of my patience. I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon the whole world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Be, and, and this temptation, which comes upon the whole world, is precisely a temptation to set aside uh, the person of Christ. That's, that's the only temptation he could be referring to here. And what's going to do that? It's going to be perennialism. It's going to be the ecumenism on 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 a, on a level, global level of all the religions, uh, and it's going to be. It's this is this is why it's going to be a massive and grave temptation. I think it's I think it's poised to be that philosophy and that theory of 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 the religions that is ex- will serve mankind in a kind of false unity of mankind. Isn't uh, isn't that father in a way a basically a reverting back to an ancient pagan like uh, I mean I'm thinking you know one of the one of the reasons perhaps that is hard to evangelize a place like India is because of their they're willing to believe in any deity you bring to the table. Yes. You know, and so like, you know, similarly with the pagan, like, you know, late antiquity, it's like, okay, you could, you could worship whoever you want. You know what I'm saying? So you could burn incense to whoever you want. You yeah. know what I'm saying? But, yeah. but that's, so it's like, it's, 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 it's reverting to that mentality that like the one thing that they don't want is for you to have that one unicity that like one, one, uh, yeah. God, who is the God of the Lord of Lords and, 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 you know, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, you know? And so, so if you, if you posit that, then you're, you're, you're an enemy of the people and, and, and you're bringing in dissension and you're dangerous. And so, mm-hmm. and so that's basically, it seems you're to arrogant. Me, you're mm-hmm. arrogant and you're not, you're not politically correct and all that crap. Right. So, so it's like, it's reverting back to that mentality that you by and in, default and within the church will have that division. It's not yes. going to be outside the church. No, no, totally. it's, so, it's already happening. <laughs> yeah. And that's yeah. why, that's why going back to Sherrard, Sherrard has brings a lot to the table. We all like Sherrard, especially before we became Orthodox, even in the beginning, but I think it's a grave temptation in the, the day. 
I mean, he will be he, he his th- thinking can very well support this this uh, section of the church going the way of perennialism and therefore the Antichrist. I mean, he's oh, going to I, I, you're going to say, well, but it's that. How is that not a that that's a, not hard to, to see as a consequence of, of 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 his writings, ultimately, because he didn't abandon. He did not abandon perennialism at the end of the day. OK. That is the end of part one. <laughs> and if if you like talking about the thing called, right, the thing called emerging reality, you just got a whole mouthful. Fearful. Yeah, you did. There is emerging reality, and those cats were digging into it as per this concept, perennialism. It's a shifting culture. It's the end of the Roman Empire. And I think there are a lot of really good lessons in that. So this is the end of part one. Tune in soon for part two, where we talk about COVIDism and ecumenism and how that worked over the last couple years. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to look into our work. We need monthly supporters. That's what we do. We go out and help others. We do it using the ancient tradition called immersion. And then we look for impresarios or entrepreneurs who locally know exactly what they need to improve their local situation. In other words, we're like little paratroopers who dive in for two years and find really, really cool projects and really, really cool people support our work because all around the world, the economy is changing. And there's so many people who know exactly what to do to help themselves at this point. They just need a little boost. That's what we do at First Things. Take care.